Yeah, who plays the accountant? I don't know. Just call him the accountant. His name's Rance. Yeah, but a famous actor who plays him. <sighs> that is not a famous actor. It's Dylan Baker. He is a character actor who you recognize, but he's not a famous actor. Dylan Baker. I like him a lot. Oh, yeah. I've seen him in yeah. a thousand things, but no one is going to be like, how could you not fucking name drop Dylan Baker, you fucking idiots? <laughs> you do see him in a thousand things. Okay, sorry. Finally watched. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of I Finally Watched. This is David. And this is Alon. And I finally watched Road to Perdition. Sort of. Sort of. I watched the whole thing. I know, but didn't you tell me before this, we almost didn't do this because you're like, oh, well, I've watched it before. And I was like, what? Really? And you're like, well, I watched half of it and fell asleep. I was like, ah, fuck, that doesn't count. We're doing it. So I was I was uh, in my senior year of high school and this college that, that I actually ended up going to had a um, it had a summer program pre-college. Right. That's what they call it. Pre-college thing. See if you like it. And um, I took a film class and it was like, you go home or go back to your dorm, watch Road to Perdition and then I don't, I don't I don't even remember the assignment, but the, I must have failed because because uh, we all got in like the the common area of the dorm and put it put it on. And it was a bunch of fucking dudes, fucking high school dudes. We uh, I fell asleep because we put it on way too late. And I remember that scene that shot um, in the movie where. Uh, Tyler Hodgson is watching Tom Hanks through like the crack in his door and he sees him put down the gun, right? It's like 10 minutes in. And that's the last thing I remember. And what's funny about that is I fell asleep in one of the like the armchairs and I woke up to all the other dudes putting all the trash, like like all the garbage out of the trash cans and meticulously balancing it on my body as I'm sitting in the chair. So I wake up and they have like five inches of trash balanced on my arms, my shoulders, my legs, my head. I'm covered in trash, banana peels, old McDonald's things. I woke up so pissed. I think Tom Hanks was like, machine gun shooting everyone in the thing and i felt that in that moment i was like so so yeah i missed like an hour and a half of the movie so i missed the whole movie and then i woke up with a bunch of fucking trash all over me and i woke up and i like flung it off me and i was like fuck this i'm going to bed you assholes and they're like you have to clean it up because you're the last one to touch it you know high school whatever and i was like no i was like you guys took all the trash out of the the dorm you fuckers have to clean it, and I just leave. And that's my uh, road to perdition story. I gotta tell you that falling asleep around a bunch of like senior high school, college aged guys—that's like the best case scenario of what could have happened to you. Who? <laughs> that's when I woke up, man. I don't know what happened with while I was while I was still asleep. They had time to put so much trash on me. And what's funny about that too is like it's not like it was my intention to fall asleep. My intention was to watch Road to Perdition. I just remember, I don't know, I was so bored, and it, was, it starts out pretty slow, so I was just so fucking tired. Uh, but yeah, and then and then you asked me, hey, let's do Road to Perdition, and that <laughs> that was the experience that I was like, I already seen it, man. I don't, I, don't, I don't need it. Well, now I feel even more comfortable about doing this if you watched 10 minutes of it, so I think we're, we're fine here. Yeah. Um, so I remember when this came out, it just like it looked like a very like dreary bleak movie and so this came out when i was in high school um and i was just like had no desire to watch it and then i think i don't remember why i did i might it might have been because i had watched like another sam mendez movie and was like oh he directed this i guess i'll finally give it a try and then i did and i was like what the fuck was wrong with me? Like, why did I wait so long? And I think 
the things I like about it, like a lot of it is like the cinematography was so cool. Like it's just, it's beautifully shot. And then the other thing is the music, the score of it is pretty amazing. And when watching it this time, I was like, I know why I like this movie and why I like this score. I was like, this sounds like Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> yeah. And then the person who scored it was Thomas Newman, who is the cousin of Randy Newman, who does the Who's... Toy Story scores. Right. Um, <laughs> I think that's a little derivative or, you know, just reductive is the word I was looking for to say that he's the Toy Story guy. But anyway, Thomas Newman, who was nominated for this score, was also nominated for the Shawshank Redemption score. And um, and Roach Perdition and Toy Story both have Tom Hanks in it. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Um he's also been he was nominated like he's been nominated fifteen times for score and I don't think he's won. Um most recently nineteen seventeen, I believe. So another Sean Sam Sean Mendez. Another Sam Mendez film. <laughs> Sean Mendez. Sean Mendez. That guy's so multi talented. It's just amazing. So um, good. Watching it this time though, I do think it's still amazing. It's a it is slow in the beginning. It's kind of all setting up the last hour of the movie once you really get like Jude Law in there and like the central conflict. Um but I also noticed there's just some like early 2000s late 90s flourishes to this, like the voiceover of the little kid um soon to be Superman. But the other issue is the the narration at the beginning has this like central it like states the central conflict of like is his dad Michael Sullivan a good guy and then it ends with the narration and it's like you know people ask me is he a good guy and my response is he's my dad and it's just like that type like that wasn't necessary like none of that part was needed the the beginning or the end narration like wasn't needed in the movie at all and I think it's still like it's a little bit better. Um, well, okay, so you're saying that part kind of dated dated the movie, right? I don't know. I liked it. I liked how it wrapped up that he's my dad in the ending because this is just a father-son versus father-son story in the end, right? It's just that. And the thing about that is that, you know, I saw on Twitter someone was like, oh, isn't it funny that Tom Hanks never played a villain in any of his movies? And then the comment sections were all like, Road to Perdition watch road to perdition and i was like i guess he's not a good guy in that movie but he's definitely not the villain of that movie you know the the he i guess you would call an anti-hero in this case right but yeah he's he is the main central character he's the character you're rooting for so when um jude law fucking shoots him in the back at the end you're not rooting you're not like yeah finally you know um when daniel craig's after him you're not like yeah finally it's it's you're rooting for him i so i wouldn't call him so maybe maybe tom hanks has never been the bad guy i think lady killers is the answer to that where he's like not a good person in that um i've never seen lady killers but there's also, like, what you are just talking about is kind of the Paul Newman quote at the end, there are only murderers in this room. Like, there's only murderers in this movie, really. Like, yeah, there are no good, there's no, there's no good people. Except uh, for besides, Michael. Yeah, right. But he's like yeah. a kid, who cares? He doesn't count. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, he, he's definitely, this is definitely an anti-hero role. It's honestly, um, according to Chet Hanks, it's his favorite role his father's ever done. And so that's, like, important for me to tell you about. Um, good old Chet. But I think let's just get into it. I think the movie starts out. It starts out with that score, and it starts out with Michael kind of riding his bike into town. And um, there's this one little scene where he goes into the shopkeeps who, like, he, I think I guess he does the newspapers for, and the guy pays him. And as the guy turns his back, he steals, right? And this right. is kind of the little bit of the, like, you know, it's kids being kid. It's also because, like, oh, is he his father's son because his father does these bad things? But one thing I thought about. <laughs> There's for the first... only thieves in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking stealing 25 cents. But one thing I thought about this time is it definitely looks like the shop shopkeep knows he did that, but also knows he can't say anything about it. Like he's got um, this like mean look on his face, but he's like, it's fucking I didn't think about it that kid. way. Yeah. It's like, I, I can't call him out for stealing a quarter. 
even though if he did, Tom Hanks would probably be pissed about it, you know, at his son, right? Um, yeah, you then, know what's interesting about this, though? His character is that he has, like, a, a morality about him, right? Like, he 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 understands his position. And then when he, like, later on in the movie, when he's like, hey, you know, this is me, like, that, this... But he he doesn't really want special treatment as opposed like, like opposite of Daniel Craig's character where he's like, I'm the son of this guy. Don't fucking like, I'm above the, I'm above everyone. You know, he's like a brat where Tom Hanks is like, he's like, I want you to treat me kind of the same until you can't, you know? Well, the other cool thing about the Tom Hanks character is they don't try and do this thing that a lot of movies might try and do where they're like, I only kill bad people. You know what I mean? So it's like, I'm not that bad of a guy because I've only ever killed bad people because we just saw him kill a bunch of guys that weren't necessarily bad people, you know, in the in the first 30 minutes or whatever. Um, right. You know, he gives this explanation of like, hey, you know, after the war, we were very poor and Mr. Rooney, you know, we owe our whole lives to him. And so that's why I do this. But that wasn't an excuse. That was an explanation. But he doesn't really ever try to excuse his behavior. He's just like, you, I didn't want you to become me. You know, that's like at the end. So it is cool that they're just like, yeah, he's this he's this bad guy. As we see him, he's kind of a, a pretty decent guy, even though he does these bad things. So I, he's definitely not a character where you're like, oh, this is a he's I don't know. It's it's one of those well, complicated no, things. I, where I know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. The other thing that's kind of going against him is that this movie is set in the 30s. Right. So you have these like tropes. Hmm. Like, like you have this like rooted sexism and machoism that's like you have to excuse it in this film because every every guy during that period is like that, you know, like how he is with his wife and how strict he is with his kids. That's just like every family in the 30s. Yeah, I don't think anyone was like, oh, Tom Hanks is evil because he expects his wife to make dinner and his kids to clean up their plates. What a sexist. Yeah. Um. I also like their, it's just one little tiny part, but I really like the way it was shot where the, he comes home and his brother's waiting for him with the snowball and the way his brother throws the snowball and it hits him and he just like does the, like he's falling back like, oh, I've been killed, but like, let's go, like throws the snowball as he's falling backwards. I thought like always just like stuck with me. It's like a really like cool little part. Um, and then they go to this funeral and, uh, we have Paul Newman there, which I think this is like one of his last, you know, major yep. acting movie roles. Um, yep. And Tom Hanks is like, don't bring the dice. And as soon as they get there, Paul Newman's like, did you bring the dice? <laughs> uh, I always like love that part. A lot of funerals in this first like 30 minutes of the movie. Uh, and it it's kind of like a funeral begets a funeral funeral right like one funeral is the cause of the other one is the cause of the other one um and i think this is a good like way to show the theme of this movie like um what there's no there's no peace and revenge you know i i, I don't know like even when tom hanks you know gets daniel craig it's it's doesn't satisfy him the way he thinks it does and we'll 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 explain more than that in the end. But um, what I take it is that Paul Newman is the is the head of this crime syndicate, right? Irish mob sort of thing. And then the guy I don't know his name. I know you know his, the actor's name, but the guy who gets killed by Daniel Craig, what's his name? Syrian Hines, who plays Syrian Hines. McGovern. Yeah, uh, I take it that Paul Newman killed his brother or something like that uh yeah that's what it's paul newman or his people and he's like you know my brother danny never stole from you and he's, it's basically he has a script and then he starts going off script and tom hanks starts walking up there like uh -oh, that's not what you're that's not what's written for you the you shared looks between between daniel craig tom hanks and like the other mob guys like to like pull syrian off the set or off the scene i thought was good i thought it was like it's a good way to show that they're all in this together until they're not like they're, they're all part of the te same team until they're not. And then another thing I feel like is set up really well is that Syrian Hines is like his whole motivation is that my brother didn't steal from your dad and I didn't steal from your dad. 
someone's stealing, but it's not me. And you're like a fucking liar if you if you say it's me or my brother, right? Only, and it sets up the ending really well with like I, I I saw it coming, but I guess you could say it's the reveal that Daniel Craig is the one who was stealing. Well, I think I think uh, Finn McGovern like telegraphs that he's like, oh, I know it wasn't me, and he's like, he like says it was you, Connor, to Daniel Craig, right? So it's like he's saying like, does not he- accusing, he's saying, and that's why Daniel Craig pulls out the gun and shoots him because he's like, oh shit, he knows. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he, he shot him before he could accuse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, he starts to, right. He, he hints at it and then he, and then he kills him. Um, this is also, I think maybe the first time I had seen Daniel Craig in anything. I probably watched, I don't know if layer cake came before or after this, but I probably watched that after this. Um, he's, he's just so creepy in this movie. Oh Yeah. Especially the beginning when he's like sitting in the room and he's like, well, which one of the Sullivan kids are you? And like, well, he's like, oh, I came for your dad's jacket. And he's like, come back later. I'm busy. And it's like, you just have to, you just have to let him grab the jacket. Like this is taking longer than than needed. What are you doing? Yeah, I agree. I agree. That was, that was weird. And I was like, I don't know. I, I had child molester on my mind when I saw him like that. And I was like, cause I don't know where this film is going. But he he definitely gave a molesting kind of vibe. Yeah. Well, and then you get the scene right after this where uh, Daniel Craig is uh, is like jealous over Tom Hanks and Paul Newman playing the piano together, and so you have this like whole, you know, you've got the the Daniel Craig stealing money, but he's also jealous of the relationship that that uh, you know Mr. Rooney and and tom hanks have together um so it's like all of this it's all of this setup in the beginning right um oh yeah oh yeah and then there is this one really like i don't i didn't even remember it being from this movie but when uh when peter's like why are you always smiling to daniel craig and he's like because it's all so fucking hysterical <laughs> it's like definitely a line that like stuck with me um uh, also, this establishes that Daniel Craig doesn't really even know that Michael Sullivan has two children. And then when he when he's like, oh, you have two like like it's a such a small detail in his head. And then he gets them confused like he doesn't know who is who. And that that like works out. Well, it doesn't work out for one of them, but it's it works out in the end when he goes to kill him because he thinks the job is done and he's not expecting the second one to come around, you know? Yeah. Well, and then right after this, you have uh, Peter and Michael, they're in bed and it's like some, it's kind of like useful exposition, but it's a little bit clunky. He's like, well, what does dad do? And he's like, oh, you know, you know, just dad works for Mr. Rooney. He's like, yeah, but what does he actually do? He's like, and then at the table the next day, Peter asks what he does and everyone just looks at him and the mom who is Jennifer Jason Lee. And I didn't fucking recognize her. Even after it told me it was her, I was like, I don't, I don't see it. I don't see it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but she's like, he puts food on the table for you. Now get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so yeah. So this leads to to Michael even being more curious on what it, what his dad does. So he like, um, stow stows away in in the car when he goes out um to go see Syrian Hines with uh Daniel Craig, and I love like the reveal. Like they're they're in the front seat, and it's just this slow pan to the back of the car, and he's like lifting up the the compartment under the the back seats um you know they could have honestly just slow like just showed the back seats and i would have already fucking known that that kid was in there you know yeah that's that's probably how it would have been done today what what i think is cool about this part though is all of a sudden you get tom hanks getting in his car going to pick up daniel craig and you're like this is like a pov change because everything else has been basically situations that michael jr has been in right so you're like the whole point of the view of the movie is his it's now you're like oh we're just going off with tom hanks but then it's no it's it's because jr is there yeah um that's right that's right and then you have this scene where they go in and you know it's kind of weird it's like paul newman's like just go and talk to him and then Tom Hanks is like, we're just going to talk to him. And the entire time, Daniel Craig's like, yeah, we're just talking to him. Until, like, they decide to, like, get out of the car and walk into the building. And he's like, we're going to talk to him, right? And Daniel Craig's like, 
no. Like. Yeah, yeah, he keeps like, that, I mean, because Hanks knows that this guy's an idiot, so he knows that this situation's kind of screwed up. He's an idiot, but he's also a hothead. Like, he's um, un... I was going to say unchained, but that's not... Unhinged? Unhinged, thank you. Yeah, he's 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 unhinged. And um, then Michael kind of hides in, like, the cracks in the wall, like, the spaces between the wall to view all this. And I love the shot where he views Siri and I's getting killed by Daniel Craig uh, through his dad's legs. And then you just hear Hank's fucking down for it, even when he doesn't agree, just knows I got to kill these other guys. Cause you know what I mean? Like he's just robotic almost in the way he has to handle it. Um, and then they find junior. I'm just going to keep calling him junior. Cause his name is Michael Sullivan and Tom Hanks is Michael Sullivan. So I call, I call Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks, and then Tyler Hodgson, Michael. So that, but fine. We can call him junior. Mr. Sullivan. Anyway, um, you know, uh, Daniel Craig asks, can he keep a secret? And Tom Hanks only response is like, he's my son, which is kind of like a non-answer. Cause it's like, I don't know. <laughs> Fuck, I, don't, I don't talk to him all that often, <laughs> but it shows you how paranoid Daniel Craig is. And that's another thing too, right? Until he's not, which is weird. Do you find that odd that throughout the whole movie, he's like, we got to kill the boy because he might talk and we got to kill Syrian Hines cause he might talk. And I'm really paranoid about all this. So we got to kill everyone. And then at the end of the movie, he's complaining that he's like locked away in the hotel. He's like, can I leave? Can I walk out of here? I don't want to be a prisoner. So it's like all this, all this paranoia just kind of goes away with his character towards the end of the movie. I found kind of weird. Well, his parent, I mean, he just thinks everything should be taken care of, but he, like I said, he's also kind of an idiot, right? He's, he's selfish and it's like all about what he wants. So it's, you know, he, he, he's willing to kill people because that doesn't affect him, but he's not willing to stay up in a five-star hotel with food brought to him all the time. That's too much for him to handle. So what I, what I really love about his character is that he is a spoiled, whiny brat. And he's like, how old do you think he is at this point? Like 40, 42, 43 years old? In the movie, you're saying how old is he supposed to be? Well, in the movie, he's probably like 38, right? But like, I mean, like Daniel Craig in real life was probably 40 around that time. He was like 34. Oh, he was younger. Oh. Anyways, um, no, it's like this grown man being like this like little bratty kid. I love it. I love how unlikable he is. And four years later, he's fucking James Bond. So um, right after this, Paul Newman comes by and he like gives the he gives Michael the coin that he's like, I owed you. He's like, I'm a man of my word. Um, yeah. And he's like, you know, talking to Tom Hanks, like, Oh, you know, can we trust him? You know? And he's like, you know, you can't protect him forever. This would eventually happen. And it's funny because the movie then just cuts to Michael in school fighting another kid. Right. Like we've seen him be kind of a perfect, well, I guess he stole earlier. So I don't know. I thought the movie was trying to tell us like how, how quickly this affected him. But uh, it's definitely that it's definitely that because his outbursts at the table and right. Yeah, I think it's that I think you're on the right. You're on the right track. Um, and I think the coin thing is more than just like it's like a it's like an underlying threat slash promise. It's like, hey, I kept my end of the bargain. I got you the coin. So you're going to you're going to keep your fucking mouth shut. Right. <laughs> that sort of. Yeah. Thing, you know? Yeah. I love the next scene where Daniel Craig is, you know, being forced to apologize. And he's like, we lost a good man last night. You think it's funny? Try again. And he starts again and he like hits the table. He's like, try again. Yeah. Uh, and apparently Paul Newman just decided to do that on his own. And Sam Mendes was like, that's fucking good. Yeah, let's keep that in. And so Daniel um, Craig being like, uh, I, that's the end of my line. Like that expression on his face was actually that expression on his well, face. Well, and all the other people, if you notice them, were like, oh, what the fuck? Um, <laughs> and then the shot over Daniel Craig's shoulder, too, is really cool. Like of seeing Tom Hanks and, and uh, you know, the dad walk off. and uh, Or Paul Newman walk off. And that is probably the reason Daniel Craig, you know, it's like probably less about like being scared. Cause he even said, can we trust the kid? And he's like, he's my son. And he's like, oh, okay, well, you know, no worries. But then Hanks and Paul Newman walking off as Daniel Craig just got like dressed down in front of everyone. 
yeah. I think Lee is more probably why he went and killed the wife and kid, you know, because then it creates this situation where Hanks has, you know, is not going to be a part of this anymore. Well, when I read the synopsis to this, I was confused. I was like, it, and it's, uh, I'm not going to pull it up now, but it, it is confusing to read because it says something like when a wife, when a wife, sorry, when a husband, when a, when a father and son um, go against another father and son it's father versus son versus son versus father and i was like that is the <laughs> that is very confusing um i butchered it but it was still like that um vague so i was like what is this about and so when i'm watching this i'm like okay that's what they mean because it's it's just this relationship that and it does feel like this guy's like you took away my dad so i'm going to take away your son a little bit um, and then right after this, Daniel Craig kind of puts the plan into action. He gives Hanks a letter and he's like, you need to go to this guy. And one understated thing in this movie, that the movie never just outright tells you, but Hanks is so good at his job and so good at reading a situation. As soon as he hands that letter to that guy, he knows it's a trap and he knows he- <laughs> the fucking bouncer is like about to let him in. He's like, do you want to frisk me? And he's like, should I? And he's like, it's probably a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, the bouncer is probably my favorite character in the whole movie. <laughs> like as far as like outside of like uh, Michael and Junior. It, and I also really like Jude Law as a character. But the bouncer having such a small part. He says this line, something like, it's on the it's on the kind of same feeling of like there's only murders in this room, but that bouncer has such great lines. Um, I and and the way he was like maybe you know if this doesn't work out you know uh, Mr. Rooney can get me a job. Will you talk to him? And he's like yeah I'll I'll talk to him. And I was like oh that's so sweet. And then I was so sad when he died. Well, he had to. If he didn't want to yeah. die, he should have not you know reached for his gun. Just just kind of stand there and be like eh, it's all good. We're all good yeah. here. I'm, give me, I need give me that job. job. I need, I need that, that job, job now, right now, yeah. actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and then uh, the scene where Daniel Craig goes and kills them is, you know, it's obviously sad. It, the way it's shot is 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 very cool. The one after he goes to go out that out of the house, Junior oh. has come up and heard the shot. He goes to the front door, and Daniel Craig is looking out at him. And then you see the perspective of Daniel Craig, and he can't see through because it's dark outside. So it, it's probably, I, it, it's a masterwork of cinema, David. It's probably my favorite shot in the whole world. When I, cause he has like a, like a ski mask on and he goes to the door and they're face to face and he takes off the ski mask. And I was like, oh, that's dumb. I was thinking to myself, I was like, that's really stupid. And then it's like the fucking reveal that he can, he, he looks at the door as a mirror. And I was like. I love this fucking movie. <laughs> well, and it's funny too, is then not funny. Ha ha. But he, uh, junior goes up and he finds his, his mom and brother and has almost no reaction. It's just sort of sitting there in shock. And then Hanks, who you think is the stoic figure loses it. Yeah. When he sees Peter and his wife and just, you know, it's screams, you know, um, yeah, he's really upset. He doesn't know who's going to make him dinner from now on. And then this movie turns into John Wick. Yeah, except a dog, it's his wife and son. Hanks actually acted more calm about his wife and son being killed. But we get the next scene where Paul Newman starts hitting Daniel Craig, and he's like, I curse the fucking day you were born. Born, And it's like very similar to the scene where the father beats the shit out of the son. He's like, do you know he was dog you fucking killed? It's John Wick's fucking dog. <laughs> yeah uh, the 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 scene where he he gets onto daniel craig about about killing it 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 may it's awesome but it makes i get it i get what the movie's trying to do i'm not stupid but at the very end of the movie where he doesn't give up his son i was like you don't even like your son you could easily just give up your son and save your life and save your men's life. And just, it's like, he's going to get, and then man, I I'm jumping too far ahead, but I just don't get the part where I guess it's, he can't betray family like that. Even though he 
treated Tom Hanks more of a son than Daniel Craig. Well, he even says, you know, if you leave, I'll, I'll have lost one son. You know, I'm mourning the loss of one son. So, um, and then, uh, you know, they're on the run and Hank stops to meet this one guy. And he's like, you know, the guy's like, I have a message for you and, and tells him. And he's like, well, I need to know where Connor is. And he's like, you know, I can't tell you that. And he threatens to shoot him. And he's like, dude, why are you going to shoot me? I'm just the messenger. And he's like, okay, we'll give Mr. Rooney a message. And then fucking kills him. And the message is, I'm going to kill everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I then love the shots of going into Chicago. It's like so beautiful. It's like Chicago's so awesome. perfect. I love Chicago. He goes to see Mr. Nitty. Um, good crying from your boy, uh, Mr. Superman, you know, as he's waiting for his father. It's like some nice, some nice tears. It's funny because I had a chance. I had a, I, I saw him in the credits and I was like, that's not him. Cause if you look at him now when he was 12 and when he was like 35, they, it just doesn't look like him except the eyebrows are very distinguishable. But uh, the first time I saw Tyler Hoshlin in anything was Everybody Wants Some. Um, and then he was cast as the new, new CW Superman. But then when I went back and I was like, oh, shoot. Road to Perdition could have easily been the first thing I saw him in. But I fell asleep. Well, you see, it was in the first 10 minutes. But yeah, it's definitely the first thing you saw him in because I think I think this is probably the first thing he did. Yeah. Um, there's like a national search to find the kid and he won out. That's oh, like really? gotta be lucky. That's, Jesus. That's like fucking life changing shit, right? You get well, it's this like the, first. It's like the kid from um Terminator Two. Do you know that story? No. Young young John Connor. They they were looking for the kid. They James Cameron was looking for a kid. They could not find the kid. They were having casting problems all along for the kid, for young John Connor. And the casting director, I forget her name, but she goes to like a youth center. She goes to a YMCA sort of type of deal and like a rough part of town. And he's just like leaning on the back of a wall, like chewing bubble gum or something. And she was like, I like your vibe. Come with me if you want to be famous, I guess. And that's that kid did nothing before. And boom. And I mean, he really did nothing after, but boom, man, Terminator two. What a, what a mark on your resume. Yeah. Turned out different for the uh, young Anakin kid. Um, he's, oh yeah. I don't know what happened to him. Apparently not great things. Let's get back to it. So he goes to see Mr. Nitty and he's like, I want a job, but you have to let me kill Connor. (laughs) Mr. Nitty's like, neither of those things can happen, you know? And then fucking Mr. Rooney and Connor in the other room and they were listening and uh, Nitty's like, you need to kill him and the kid. And what's funny, Rooney says no, but then Nitty calls this guy and I think it's pretty clear, tells him to kill him and the kid. The way that is portrayed is awesome is that he's like, he has a kid with him and he's like, okay, how old? And he writes down 12 and then he goes, what do you want me to do with him? And then you don't hear what he says on the other end of the line. You just see him drawing like a little sad face next to the number What's 12. A little, yeah, a little dead face. A little dead, sad face. Yeah, with the X for eyes. And you're like, oh, okay. And this is where the movie really picks up, Jude Law. And uh, I don't know if you've, you have not seen The Talented Mr. Ripley, um, but Jude Law and The Talented Mr. Ripley is like one of the most beautiful humans it's like ever be in a movie. Yeah, then, Jude, then go Jude to this. Good looking guy. Did and I then to go to this? I feel like Jude, like God, allowed Jude Law to lose his hair so that the rest of us could have a chance out there. What happened to Jude Law's hairline in this movie? Because it came back. It must. It must be. No, no. This, yeah, they, this was purposely like to make him look like shit. Yeah, like oh, so you're just saying it. in general his hair? Yeah, or you're right. In I'm real life, at, yeah, yeah, yeah. In real um, life. Uh, and I guess this is based off like a this movie is loosely based on reality, and then the Jude Law character as a like a crime scene photographer is a real person. Uh, I don't know if he like killed people, and like some of the photos were real crime scene photos like in his studio. But he is, you know, you think Daniel Craig's a really fucking creepy character with that introduction, and then you meet Jude Law, um, and you see like this rapist that has just been murdered by the husband of the victim. And he's sitting there 
and he's going to take a photo of this dead guy, and then he sees that he's alive. And he just goes over there because he's ruined his photograph and fucking smothers him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had to go back and see what uh what movie I first saw Jude Jude Law in, and it was probably AI. That would make um, sense. AI and then maybe Alfie. Alfie's a good one. And then Sherlock Holmes, obviously. But yeah, I'm pretty sure like all my like memories of Jude Law is from AI, which he was good looking into. So. so does Jude Law I gotta ask, does Jude Law in this movie never sleep? <laughs> he never brushes his teeth. That's that's for sure. So here's the thing. Jude Law gets the call. We have no idea where he is. It seems like he might be in Chicago. He then drives from Chicago to whatever city Tom Hanks lives in, which I don't know what that is. Listens to a phone call of Hanks and his sister. Or his, his wife's sister. Yeah. Who says, I'm going to your cabin in perdition. Uh, and then he drives and catches up to Hanks, like, immediately. Like, yeah. finds Can his I... cabin and then catches up to him at a diner that night. It, Yeah. Can, can I be real with you, David? Yeah. I have a confession. A confession. Um, I thought perdition was like a way of life. And so I thought like road to perdition, like, like I thought perdition was maybe another word or a synonym, synonym off of retribution. So I thought like, like Tom Hanks is on the road to retribution. I was like, oh, that's poetic, but it's a place. But but it also has a meaning that's the exact opposite of what you're saying, too. Perdition is also a word? Yeah, it's a state of eternal punishment and damnation into which a sinful and unpenitent person passes after death. Oh, so it works both ways, and just one of the ways is the opposite way I thought it was working. Correct. <laughs> yeah, there's, no, <laughs> there's only murderers. Got it, got it, got it, got it. Well, okay, so I wasn't too far off, but still very far off. Huh. You know, every Figures. once in a while, my preparation, I like, I copied and pasted that into my notes because I was like, this might come up. Look Thanks, Wikipedia. Yeah, uh, it's just Google. Um, so then they're at the diner and Junior doesn't want to eat. So Hanks goes in there and he is in there for so long, as I said, because somehow Jude Law catches up. It's like dusk and then it's like super fucking dark when Jude Law shows up. And I love Hanks' acting in this. And I got to say, too, Daniel Craig's acting earlier when he commits the murder is so good because he puts off, like, this evil, but also he is scared and afraid and, like, in over his head. Like, it's, like, a lot of emotions coming off of him. You're talking about the first first murder? When Daniel Craig murders the wife and son. Oh, oh, that, yeah. But then in this diner scene... We Hanks immediately from his eyes, we can see he knows Jude Law is out of place and shouldn't be here. And this is something that's going to be something he has to deal with. For for a guy who's like whole thing is like, I guess he's like a hitman. He's like a psycho hitman. It, it's like he doesn't brush his teeth or take care of his fingernails or, or anything like that. And it's just really off-putting. You can't get close to him, you know? Yeah. And then Hank starts to like kind of talk with him and be open and personable. And then he like pretends to be drunk. And then they show him grab the knife a little too, like they focus on a little too much. I wish it had been a lot more subtle than it was. But he's like, I have to go to the bathroom. You know what what would have been a cool way of doing it is showing his, his place setting and have the knife in there. And then as he gets up to the bathroom, it's just not there. It's it's a shot of the place setting. It's just not there. That would be a cool way to do it. That would have been nice. Um, and then Jude Law hears a car leave and he thinks it's the cop that got up and he's like getting ready to shoot. Oh, good. Yeah. And then the cop comes back in to pay and Jude Law goes out and takes a couple shots. And then the cop comes out and he's like, Hey, mister, (laughs) gun out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's moments in this movie and I told you about it earlier, but that, that people just make a really dumb decision, just really stupid decisions that people make in this movie and and it's more it's not because they're dumb characters it's just like it needs to move the plot in that way but i wish it was done in a better way although him using the knife not to like defend himself but to like put a hole in his tire is really awesome 
Yeah. And now we're actually we're fairly close to kind of the end of the movie. Like we're like an hour and fifteen minutes in, and Hanks just basically has to come up with a new plan. He's like, All right, we're gonna rob Al Capone's banks. Oh, and... it's so cool. How this movie turns into a, a a bank rob uh robbery movie like halfway through is pretty cool. Yeah, so first he has to teach his son how to drive. <laughs> he's like, Well, do you want some advice? And the son's like, No, I'm gonna do it myself. And he's like all right, well, fuck, we're going to be here forever. And I like, so there's a bank robbery montage they're about to get to, and I love, like, progressively how Junior's gets driving better. gets better and better, and it starts yeah. off, like, really bad. Um, but the first robbery is pretty funny because he's like, tells this guy, he's like, here, why don't you take a little bit for yourself? And uh, he's like, but if I hear that you, like, took the money from farmers to cover up this money, like, I won't be happy. And then the bank manager says, you really trust me not to say anything. And I was like, I have no idea what that means. Like, you you trust me to not tell Capone you gave me the money? Well, obviously, you're not going to tell him that because otherwise you would just – yeah, I don't like – I guess you're right. Like, like I guess – so he's definitely going to tell Capone that his money was stolen. But, like, yeah. he, doesn't, he doesn't know Michael Sullivan by name. Well, he tells him it's Michael Sullivan. Do you want me to spell it for you? Oh, yeah, because he, he doesn't w- care. Well, he no, he. It's not. He doesn't care. He wants Capone to know. What he wants is he wants leverage to for them to allow him to kill Connor. That's the whole point of this. Yeah, but what I'm saying is that you're right. Like, like the bank manager saying, "You really think I'm going to say anything?" Doesn't make any sense. Yeah, the rest of the montage is cool. We see the son get better driving. They paint the car, which is a very important plot point. Jude Law's long nails, fucking disgusting, as you've already said. Gross. Um, but- I love the tiny scene where uh, his son asks him for his share. He's like, all right, how much do you want? And he says 200 And he's like, okay. And his son's like, could I, could I, I ask for more? And he's like, you'll never know. <laughs> you'll never know. I thought you were going to mention the scene with Jude Law and the hooker. I thought that was a, like, it was a short scene, but it was a, it was a good scene. Well, that's coming up next. The hooker right before the bank robbery? Yeah. Or the accountant Robert. Yeah. The only thing is, uh, the last thing before we get to that, the accountant scene, is Tucci is talking with Capone on the phone, and then Connor comes in. He's like, I'm tired of being a stuck. And Tucci's like, you don't know your thumb from your dick. You're only being protected because of your father. And Daniel Craig says, like, you don't want to talk to me like that because I'm going to be in charge when my father dies. But from reading about this, like, Tucci's character Nitty, he's above uh, Mr. Rooney. Like in real life, the, it was Mr. Looney, and I think like Nitty, Nitty takes over for Capone after Capone goes to jail. Is Mr. Rooney supposed to be comp- comp- Capone? No, no. Mr. Rooney is Mr. Looney, which is a guy who is part of the mafia, and I think is you know either worked for Capone with you know like in concert with whatever, but like. Nitty does not have to fear this Connor guy. And what this scene does tell me, though, is that, like, it just gives them a reason to be, like, okay with him killing this guy. And the only reason they're not is because, as he says, is because of the father, the respect they have for him, how much they need him. You know, he runs whatever that city is that they live in. He runs it really well. So So let's but let's look at it like the movie looks at it. So he says that he would take over his dad as soon as his dad is dies and out of the picture. And Nitty already doesn't like him, right? He's only protecting him because of his dad, but he doesn't like him. So when the dad is taken out at the end of the movie and Tom Hanks is like, hey, Nitty, can I take this dude out? He's like, hell yeah, do it, right? Because he wants, he doesn't want to have to fucking deal with Daniel Craig's character. No, yeah, absolutely. Once Rooney dies, he's like, please. Like, this is great. And they they even have the part where he's like, is this does it end after this and he's like okay then yeah fine go kill him and i um, love as like i know i'm jumping ahead but tom hanks walking through the lobby and like up the elevator and all of the bodyguards are just letting him through like no no issues yeah well and then well, as long as we're doing it we'll just do it now but he goes in daniel craig's just in the bath goes in shoots him what twice three times and yeah. you're like oh we're not gonna get to see the death and then as he walks out, he rub, he pushes against the door and it just rotates and you can see the mirror and Daniel Craig's like fucking dead corpse. It's crazy too, because the whole movie is built on this, on this death and it's done. 
it's it's over in a matter of seconds. Like it, it it's like it's treated like a secondary character being killed. It's 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 interesting in that way, you know. Absolutely, yeah. So we get to the accountant scene, and he goes, you know, he goes to a bank and there's no money or anything. And he's like, dude, the accountant took all of it. You know, Chicago knows what's going on, and so Jude Law is sitting. Across the street from the accountant in this apartment with this huge fucking window so he can see everything. And then Hank's car pulls in, but he's painted it. So Jude Law doesn't recognize it, right? This whole uh, this whole scene this is whole just thing. Yeah. is happenstance, right? Just little like kind of things here and there that you can nitpick of like, oh, it all worked out so perfectly or whatever. But I liked it because he pulls in, then the hooker's like, We've been here for days. Can you close the blinds? So he looks over at her. Hanks walks all the way over, and so he doesn't see him, right? Right. And then Jude Law gives her the money and tells her to get the fuck out. Well, you forget an important part is that as Tom Hanks is leaving the car, he says this is his son. If he sees anything suspicious, make sure you honk the horn twice, right? Yeah. So then when he gets up there with the accountant, the ticker starts going off. And so when the son starts honking the horn, he can't hear it for a while. Well, he... He only sees, hold on, because it's even more happenstance, right? Because he only sees Jude Law because Jude Law almost gets hit by a car. That car honks. That's when the son looks up from his book. By the way, he's reading The Lone Ranger the entire time, which works out. But Taking him a long time to read that book. <laughs> uh, he's 12 years old. Anyways, um, so he looks up and that's when he sees the shotgun and he sees Jude Law. and he Yeah, so what is that ticker? I, I don't know what that is. It's the opening of the stock exchange, the New York Stock Exchange. Oh, okay. I guess. So he says that what it is. And so then sure. the accountant is taking forever to open it up. And then when he finally opens it, Hank sees it's empty. And then Jude Law pops in. And the accountant gets his because he gets shot through the fucking door. Right. And it, this is really funny, though. So Hank shoots a glass. It sprays into Jude Law's face, incapacitating him. Hanks goes into the other room to escape, and then he's like, oh, there are all the files right there <laughs> like that were in this. You guys, why would you even bring them to the hotel room? Like, why are they in another, like, that part makes no sense that they would be there. I guess Stanley Tucci, not Stanley Tucci. Who plays Nitty? I mean, Stanley Tucci. Sorry. Yeah, who plays the accountant? I don't know, just call him the accountant. His name's Rance. Yeah, but a famous actor who plays him. That is not a famous actor. It's Dylan Baker. He is a character actor who you recognize, but he's not a famous actor. Dylan Baker. I like him a lot. I've seen him in a thousand things, but no one is going to be like, how could you not fucking name drop Dylan Baker, you fucking idiots? (laughs) You do see him in a thousand things. Okay, sorry, sorry. So anyways, um, the accountant... um, it's just buying buying time, right? But he's assuming that Jude Law is like heading over there, but he doesn't know for sure. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, and so then Hanks gets winged by Jude Law, which he's like, "I'm fine," but then he faints like five seconds later. <laughs> the kid just like stops at a farm and is like, "I need help." And these farmers are just like, "Sure, we'll help this obvious bank robbers." who've been shot we'll just help you guys you know it's no problem um i love the movie where he like he's like we left you something and it's just a big bag of cash and then the next time you see him they fixed up their entire farm like this solves all of our problems yeah uh well the the wife is like oh when are you guys gonna leave and he's like oh we'll leave soon we don't want to bother you and she's like no i don't mind we're just asking like just making conversation you guys can stay she even tells him, like, oh, you know, your son adores you. you know, we we got together too late, so we could never have one. Um, and then we get this cool moment between father and son where he's like, you were always different with me. And it's like, we never really saw that in the movie. I mean, I guess we, we never saw him treat Peter nicely as opposed to not treating Michael nice. But mm. his answer is so good. He's like, Peter was such a sweet boy and you were so much like me. And you know, that's what worried me. I didn't want you to become me. And it's like, yeah, way to, way to really get to the, the heart of it. Only to really, you know, run it home in the end. Um, so he gets better. 
And um, I think that's probably the shot of Tom Hanks I see the most from this movie is him like in his suspenders typing on the typewriter in the in the farmhouse. Like that's. Was he typing? I thought he was just looking over statements are looking over statements or whatever he's he's working and he has this like little thing thing on yeah crunching and, numbers uh, that's what i think of when i think of this movie it's just real real accountant shit it's what it's what i think of when i think of tom hanks um but anyway so they get better and he they leave um but like you said he has to make a new plan well and because he finds the, the entries that show connor was stealing which by the way he goes to Rooney and Rooney's like, yeah, I knew about it. You know, he's my son. Like, what do you think I'm going to do? It's like, you had to know he knew about it. The accountant knew about it. The accountant's covering up for him too. Um, but he's like, yeah, he's my son. You know, what, what, what do you expect me to do? Um, and then Can Hanks you talk like, about how Tom Hanks snuck into that church without being seen by a single person? Yeah, I think uh, security's pretty lax right now. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like he's kind of the one guy you should be looking out for. Um, but somehow he, he made it in there and made it out. I, I feel like Rooney kind of like felt like he owed it to allow Hanks to escape. Right. He's like, you know, you, yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna let you leave. Cause it's like, my son really did kind of fuck you over. Um, but this is probably the best scene in the movie. Like the most memorable is, you know, fucking Paul Newman and Tom Hanks going toe to toe. And he's like, you know, you are asking me to let, you're asking me to let you kill my son. And he's like, he killed my wife and kid. And, and the line of like, there are only murders in this room. This is the life we chose. And there's only one guarantee. None of us will see heaven. Just like so fucking good. Um, Yeah. And like, like you were saying, he kind of allows him to like, cause he's with guards, right? When they walk down to the church basement and then like you say, he, leave, he lets him leave without a fight just has to promise to like let it go from here but he doesn't and i think this is probably the most iconic scene in the movie where he shoots him from the shoots all of them from the dark slow motion as paul newman is the last one standing yeah there's no sound but the music paul newman just stands there as all of his guys are getting gunned down just knowing it's going to happen and he then turns to him. He's like, I'm glad it's you. And then Tom Hanks with the overkill shoots him like 30 times. Yeah. And I, I like all of the people looking out of their windows, like what's going on out there. And they just fucking like see all these dead bodies and Tom Hanks walking away from it. Yeah. And I, I think you earlier were like, why would he, you know, he didn't even love his son. Why would he, you know, do this for him but i do think that he just if this if it was gonna if his son was gonna die he didn't want to still be alive when it happened you know he didn't want to outlive his son and i think that's why he was okay with it having this i mean he was fairly old in the movie too so i think he was i think he was just at peace with it happening this way it'd be funny if like at the farmhouse michael's like why'd you like peter more than me and if Tom Hanks was like, oh, shit, dude, well, if you died and I had to bring Peter onto this, like, adventure, like, I would not go that hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, we already covered Daniel Craig's death, and then we get, you know, everything's peachy keen. They think everything's all all well. They drive up to the house in Perdition, which is on a lake. You have to park very far away from that house. Um, and just, once again, we've talked about so many well-done shots in this movie. But yeah. Hanks walking through, you not seeing Jude Law there because of the way the camera goes, and then Jude Law just shooting him, and as Hanks falls, you see Jude Law just hiding in the corner. I gotta be real with you. So we're we're uh, we're coming to the end of the movie. They're walking up to the house. The dog runs out to them. He's like, "Look, I told you there was a dog, right?" Junior says that, and I thought this was the end of the movie, right? And and. <laughs> I thought to myself in the moment, I thought, wow, what a good movie. Like, I'm recapping it in my head. Like, wow, what a ride. What a good movie. You know, 10 out of 10. And then I said, uh, maybe like a 9 out of 10. Because they kind of just drop the Jude Law character 
and nothing really came of that. So that's kind of disappointing. Like I'm saying this into my in in my head. And as he's walking through the house up to the window and I I think to myself I'm like oh shit. Like I'm like oh shit, it's about to go down. And I pause it. I'm like I'm going to get jump scared, aren't I? And I pause it right before you get shot and I'm like okay, I'm ready. And I hit play. And then and then he fucking shoots him. And I was like, okay, never mind. Ten out of ten. Yeah, and then Junior comes in and pulls a gun, but he can't do it. I think it's fairly obvious the whole time Hanks had a gun. Like Jude Law's setting up the camera to take photos of him as he's dying. As he's <laughs> like, trying to reach from... like in his back pocket. Yeah. Uh so then Hanks has to be the one to kill him, and he's like, you know, I couldn't do it. And Hanks like, I know, and then he dies. Damn. Um, so good. I had this thought. So the sister should have already been home. Did Jude Law kill the sister too? I thought of that too. I thought that's maybe why the dog was out. I don't know. Well, and then he... Uh... No, he has to have, right? He had to have killed the sister, and that's why the that's why Michael Jr. had to live with the farm people. Well, I thought maybe that was why, but then also maybe for his protection so they wouldn't find him anymore. You know, if he goes to move with these people that have no connection. But then he just talks about his whole life telling people that who his dad was. So he's not exactly in, like, wit- witness protection right now. So I don't I don't know. Um, but he moves in with this farm family who now all of a sudden have quite a bit of money. And then it ends with people just asking me, you know, was Michael Sullivan good or was he bad? And I just tell him. He was my father. And I was like, who are these people asking if your dad was good? Who like who are the who is coming up to you and just be like, so I heard you're Michael Sullivan's son. Like, who are these people that know who your dad is? I actually I actually like that. But the part of the narration that I found most interesting was when he goes, People are surprised when I tell them the story because they think I grew up on a farm, which is partly true. And I and I and I was like, They think you grew up on a farm. And I was like, I guess from the age of 12 to when you leave for school or whatever, he did grow up on this farm. But I'm like, I guess you just don't really tell everyone you meet about like your checkered past as like a bank robber and the son of a hitman and the ties to the Irish mob. Right. But it's kind of crazy how he's just like he meets people throughout his life and he's like, yeah, I'm I grew up on a farm. Yeah. So here's a couple like thoughts after the end of this is one, I, I think I had told you that this was a, that Roger Deakins did this movie like as a cinematographer, um, just because he does like all of Sam Mendes movies now. Uh, but it was actually Conrad Hall who died after this movie came out and posthumously won the Oscar for the cinematography in this movie. Um, and he's also the cinematographer for Cool Hand Luke and Butch Cassidy, both Paul Newman films. Hmm. And like I said, this is like one of the best things about this movie is how beautiful it looks, like how well it's shot. Masterwork um, of cinema. Correct. The other thing is this is based on a graphic novel. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. And in the graphic novel, apparently there's so uh, there was a lot more killing in the graphic novel and in the screenplay. And Tom Hanks was like, talking mendez out of that he's like you know we don't need all of that and i guess junior also did quite a bit of killing in the graphic novel and then became a priest later to you know get <laughs> yeah but that kind of takes away the whole tom hanks shooting jude law in the end in place of his son if junior did a lot of killing no yeah absolutely i think this works better but it is just interesting like one that this was a graphic novel it's it's pretty cool and then you know just the the way it's worked out, I don't know. It's masterwork of cinema. Amen. It's actually kind of funny now because we're doing two graphic novels in a row. That's true. Later tonight. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of I Finally Watched. This is David. And this is Alon. And I finally watched Road to Perdition.
watched. watched.